Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, Masked Llama, Ozzy Garcia, Keith Gasper, and Mera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 104 of Retro Hangover. and classic gamers welcome to the podcast where we eagerly eat earnestly every egg exuberantly elevating eagleland this is episode 104 of retro hangover i am your co-host chris copeline with special guest arnaldo perez of region free gamers and as always your host shane new age retro dick Dragon Hippie Koski. New okay, new age retro. So is that like is that like one of those third party <laughs> knockoff like NES consoles? So is that is that like a retron? Is that what I am? You're the fully programmable gamer ray. Hell yeah. You're the Coleco Chameleon of hosts. Ooh, I like that. No. No, you don't. I mean, it just it rolls off the tongue. I don't I, I don't care if the thing is garbage. It sounds like it probably is. But does it even exist? Never That's existed. the real question. Never existed. It's just vaporware. Doesn't matter. I, I'm I'm taking it now that that name is mine. I've claimed it. Good. You can be the uh, Coleco Dick Dragon Chameleon. There we are. There you go. <laughs> Celebrate. Have a party. <laughs> Hooray. All right. Cade, please make another shirt design that I won't use for six months. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is great to have Arnie here on the main show. I think we're we're getting around to having all of RFG on this show at one point or another. So I think point. that's uh if you don't if you don't leave the show, that would make that would make three out of like now up to seven of you. We we gotta get we gotta get all of them. You got to You got to collect them all like Pokemans. Yeah, it's like every year there's a new edition and we just got to got to get another one. <laughs> Hopefully you guys are stable. You guys are doing a fantastic job as uh, as every one of our patrons right now here is on the King of Games 2000, which is going fantastically. Uh, Arnie, thank you for being there on that and not being the most hated one this time. I mean, I, I try my best. I try my best, but, you know. You don't always get the W at the end of the at the like, at the end of the game, right? Like sometimes you just can't you just can't be the most cyber bullied online every single time. Not every time. I'm sure you'll get your due. Someone's going to say something. It's <laughs> it's inevitable. Yeah, I was just saying, now, who, who's yeah, say who's the most hated one now cuz I'm pretty sure it's me. It's I I feel like it must be you. Yeah. I I kind of got the short end of the stick because I ended up being the like deciding vote on more than one <laughs> episode. <laughs> so that's fine. 
I, I'll own it. That's okay. Don't it's worry. good to be hated. In the in the later rounds, I think it'll shift around quite a bit. True, oh, I'm sure. It's good to be the heel. It's good to be the heel, though. Embrace it. That's right. Be the one that everyone hates. <laughs> Just need to dye my hair platinum blonde and wear black, and you know. Just completely changed my image. Mm. I feel the like you're describing is, yeah. several people. <laughs> like I was like, it's uh, this guy. No, it might be this other guy. <laughs> I mean, I had Hogan in mind, but yeah, I'm uh, sure that applies to more than one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the general audience is completely lost right now, too. And they're just like fucking king of games. Like, See? just we'll get to it. <laughs> yes. Uh, according to, I believe it was one of our more recent YouTube comments. We waffle too much. So I guess we should just start talking about the thing we're here for or something. I don't know. That's right. Let's fucking go, baby. Oh, yeah. Which is Earthbound. It is. Yes. The mother, as it were. Nice. The mother of all games. Uh, the, the second mother, one could say. Uh, but before we get into that. As we are want to do, let's talk about what we've been playing lately and what we have been up to. So, Arnie, our dear guest, how about you kick us off? Oh, shit. You know, I've been playing actually quite a bit of stuff. Uh, I started I don't know if I've talked to either of you guys about this, but I started tracking all the games that I beat. Oh, as a dual motivation and self-flagellation of like, wow, look at all the time you've wasted, but also all the things (laughs) you've accomplished along the way. All that life you'll never get back. Yeah, exactly. All those all those precious hours that could have been spent, I don't know, watching Seinfeld or something. Gardening. Clearly the superior choice. <laughs> you know, just looking through here. The last thing I played was actually something we we talked about on our Halloween episode. Um, it's this uh, sort of weird puzzle game called Puzzle Agent. I don't know if either of you guys have ever played it. Never heard of it. Heard of it. I haven't played it, though. It's, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very strange little game. It's, it's kind of like Professor Layton. If it was set in Twin Peaks is kind of how I think of it. You're sort of like an FBI type uh, agent whose uh, sole skill is your ability to solve puzzles. And so the entire story just revolves around you going around to people and being like, hey, do you have any weird puzzles I can solve? And then being like. If you have 17 parrots and I have three chameleons, uh, how many balls are at the end of this supermarket trolley? And you oh, shit. So like all of those elementary level math problems are finally (laughs) coming into play. (laughs) Exactly. Like the only time you'll ever use that information you learned in that one class in third grade is (laughs) in this game. Um, Awesome. But if you but if you like Professor Layton, like I I had a, a pretty good time with it and it's and it's fairly short, um, so it's not something that'll take up too much of your time either way. I like those games. Yeah, you know, they're just like a nice break from the like 85 hour RPGs I subject myself to regularly for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you didn't say Shin Megami Tensei 5. Is that even out it's at coming. the time that we're recording? OK, so it's not officially out at this moment. No, by the time the episode comes out, it probably will be. It's coming out the 12th, I believe. Okay. Yeah, and we are we are recording this before the twelfth of November. So hey, we just dated this episode. Hi everybody. Hooray. <laughs> Yay. It's a retro games podcast. It it can never be truly dated. That's true. We are nothing if not timeless. Exactly. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so that's what I've been playing. 
I guess I'll go next here. As I said, uh, Tomb Raider kept me from playing anything fun. So I've been miserable. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. So I busted out my Wii U because I'm still on the road. I'm in Virginia still. Uh, By the time you're listening to this, I will be at home. I would have been home for about two weeks. Hooray. Yay. But I busted out my Wii U and then I realized that the remote they gave me in my hotel room doesn't want to switch inputs. (laughs) So I'm fortunately the Wii U is the switch prototypes I've been able to play on my gamepad and I'm playing a virtual console game. So that works. I'm, I'm playing more Breath of Fire and I'm just finding that I'm loving it because it's just so relaxing. The music's relaxing. It's Mm -hmm. nice and happy. I don't have to think too much while doing battles and there's no crazy wonky crap. It's just a basic turn-based RPG that, you know, if I was a kid, I'd probably hate it. But now that I'm an adult, I don't want to think too much. And it's doing its job quite well. Yeah, I, I played that game on the Game Boy Advance, actually, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I It's a delight. I can't complain at all. Yeah. Uh, well, I can if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm just going to enjoy it. How about you, Shane? Oh, let's see. What, what have I been playing lately apart from tomb raider of course uh not nearly as much as chris did because he's a masochist i noticed yeah i listen i i know when to tap out man okay how dare i finish games we review yeah it's hmm. at least one of us did so good on you you know you're a pillar of the community i've been told yeah, I don't know, man. I, I honestly, I haven't really been playing a whole lot. Uh, speaking of Tomb Raider, actually, <laughs> uh, the day that we recorded that episode, I finished playing Deadpool, like I had mentioned, on my 360. And so mm. I went to look at what I had left for my 360 games to try to get through to finish up that stuff. And lo and behold, I had a copy of Tomb Raider Underworld. So I was like, this seems appropriate. <laughs> so I started playing that. Not too bad. Uh, it, it, you know, it's like, I don't even know. I think Underworld's probably like the fourth or fifth game in the series. So they've had some time to, you know, figure some shit out, but I gotta be honest, there's still some things just mechanically speaking that kind of carry over even that far into the series. That's, uh, still kind of aggravating. Actually, (laughs) the traversal is like leagues better than the first game, but it still gets really annoying when you think that you're about to move to a spot that like for all intents and purposes looks like something you should be able to climb on and you tell Lara to jump and she jumps and then just falls to her death. Also Uh, because of the generation that this game came out in, it comes with bonus ragdoll physics. So she just fucking ragdolls all over the fucking floor every time she dies. So that's neat, I guess. Kind of get that in the first one. I mean, kind of, but not not to this level. This is like, you know, you you know what I'm talking about. It's like that early 2000s oh, yeah. ragdoll physics shit. Like, that's exactly what's happening. So I think this came out in like 08 or 09 or something. But anyway. Yeah. So that's pretty much it for right now. Just trying to fit in maybe a little bit more D2R here and there when I can. I'm going to be firing up East shortly for no reason in particular. But that's that's the plan. Get ready for a lot of bump and grind on that one. That's so I've heard. Yes. Bumping and grinding. I was hoping you were going to say skies for Acadia, but <laughs> can't have them all. I mean, that's still still on the list. It's there. <laughs> the never ending list. Yep. 
But uh, so I guess that kind of wraps up for what we've been doing, which means the waffling is over, dear one YouTube guy. And that means that we're going to start <laughs> talking about the game that we're here to talk about, which, as Chris mentioned earlier, is in fact Earthbound or known to people probably not here in North America, Mother 2, uh, I believe. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and give us a brief history of Earthbound? In the days before Final Fantasy VII, console RPGs were mostly a niche market everywhere outside of Japan. As such, very few games in that genre during that time had any sort of mainstream notability. Sure, people may have known of games like Final Fantasy, Super Mario RPG, and possibly Secret of Mana, but other series that were favorites to the loyal base like Lufia, Fantasy Star, and Lunar were obscure oddities to almost anyone with a home console in the West. Fortunately, many of these games would find some success with their legacy years down the line. That story is one that is similar to Earthbounds, an RPG developed by Ape, now known as Creatures, and HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo for the SNES. Now known to many today, but very few at release, Earthbound is a sequel. The original Japanese exclusive game, Mother, was released in 1989. Development for a sequel would start almost immediately, with many of the original staff returning, notably director and writer Shigesato Itoi, lead programmer Satoru Iwata, and composers Keiichi Suzuki and Hirokazu Tanaka. However, Iwata was not initially part of the team. Initially, Ape was focused on developing Mother 2 on their own. Because they weren't very well-versed at programming, though, the project languished in development hell for years with multiple threats of outright cancellation. Fortunately, when Hal and Iwata joined development, the project found its focus and was able to see its way to completion. The game's plot was to be a direct continuation of the first game, with the main villain, Gygas? Gygas? I, I, who knows? Returning with the player taking control of the same protagonist. While initial concepts wanted the game to have interstellar travel similar to perhaps Fantasy Star, Itoi decided against it as he felt that would limit the appeal to the audience he was targeting, notably female gamers. Because of this decision, the game would largely have the same setting as the first, an outsider's view of the contemporary United States and Americana itself. Itoi also wanted the game to feel quirky and goofy, with the focus of the game to feel more like a game than having big scenario scripts. This would also include text in the final battle from a memory of Itoi's, which was from a Japanese horror film that left Itoi traumatized. Needless to say, the game was unique and eclectic, especially for the time and era. Development and direction would take so long that the game would have to triple in scope and memory, originally starting as a 8 megabit game, but having to ship on a 24 megabit cartridge, causing it to miss its initial January 1993 launch date. Mother 2 was released on August 27, 1994 in Japan where it was well received. Well-known Japanese gaming publication Famitsu 
scored the game a 34 out of 40, and the game managed to sell approximately 518,000 units in its home country. That sales amount also made it the 10th best-selling game of the year in Japan. Mother 2 was a huge success, and it was time to see if that success could be found elsewhere. Nintendo of America would begin localization shortly after the Japanese release, with main translator Marcus Lindblom taking the helm in January of 1995. As was commonplace with Nintendo, and many developers, a lot of the game was censored to appeal to perceived American values to keep the game family-friendly and to avoid lawsuits. The game would also receive a name change to avoid confusion to Earthbound. Nintendo of America would put a $2 million campaign behind the game, using satirical language in its ads with tags such as This Game Stinks in order to appeal to the gross-out culture of the time. Earthbound was released in a massive box that included a strategy guide in North America on June 5, 1995, and much like Japan, was well-received by critics, but not as well as the other monster RPG released that year, Final Fantasy III. Many American outlets criticized the game's more simplistic graphics, but highly praised the game's writing and combat systems. However, the game did not receive a warm reception from consumers, only selling around 140,000 units, far from anything that would be considered a success in North America. Because of the relative lack of success, Nintendo decided against a European release. Ha ha ha, Europe, you get nothing. Like usual. In spite of all this, Earthbound experienced a revival of sorts more than a decade after release, thanks in part to many creators on YouTube and other social media outlets professing their love for the game, citing its near obscurity as a hidden gem, interest in the game picked up. As such, Earthbound began garnering a much larger and outspoken fanbase, one that would unsuccessfully petition the third game in the series to receive an official translation based on their newfound love for the only, at the time, major release in the franchise. Since this revelation, Earthbound has been considered by many one of the premier RPGs of the era, and has demanded incredibly high prices for physical copies on the second-hand market. The game still awaits a release on modern Nintendo hardware as of the time of this episode, but perhaps the love of this almost-forgotten RPG will cause its legacy to endure. And that is your brief history of Earthbound. All right. Thank you, Chris, for the brief history. That one was uh, that was actually a little more involved than some of the last we've few we've had for a while. So that was good. Pretty well documented. I found it's one of the better ones, especially from like that time. I think it's just because. Like I was saying at the end, how you had all these YouTubers at the dawn of the beginning of you know YouTube all coming out and saying, hey, here's this game called Earthbound. Mm-hmm. And it really caused this huge community uprising that was like, oh, yeah, we all played this game. And it's like, no, you didn't. But <laughs> people all say they loved it. So that's what you get with the big community. I find it interesting and I don't want to necessarily go down a rabbit hole or anything, but there's one thing that you pointed out in the brief history about how uh Itoi decided uh, against the interstellar travel thing because he thought that it wouldn't like resonate with female gamers. I'm trying to figure out the logic in that. It's like, do 
do girls not like space? Is that is that is that the train of logic we're going with here? Space has too much testosterone in it, and so would alienate anyone above a certain T threshold. Space is yeah. for dudes. <laughs> Have you seen Spaceballs? That's probably what he was thinking about. Yeah, oh, I mean, I guess you know what? You're right. That's true. You can't get as much ideas. more testosterone than literal balls. So, all right, fine. <laughs> the ideas turn from blow to suck. <laughs> nice. Earthbound, the t-shirt. That's right. Nintendo wishes. I mean, if they did make t-shirts, they'd never come out in the United States unless somehow it got involved with Smash Brothers, right? <laughs> Aww. Now I'm sad. Uh, so anyway, I suppose we should kind of transition right into what we usually talk about. And we tend to start with our personal experiences. So, uh, Arnaldo, would you like to tell the fine people what your personal experience with Earthbound is? Yeah, sure. Like every YouTuber in 2009, I played this game at release when I was four years old. I went oh, down to the store definitely. by myself and I picked it out of the game case and I said, this is mine now. With your own hard earned money. That's right. My own money from working in the salt mines. <laughs> the black lung. <laughs> this is a game that that I've been, you know, much like uh, I would say like 70 percent of the people who probably played this at this point. I heard about much later after it was released and sort of its whole fanfare or lack thereof sort of came and went. Um, and I had always wanted to play it. And I was always, you know, telling myself one day I'll, I'll get this game. And then it became $100 and then it became $200 and then it became $500. And I was like, you know, maybe I won't get this game. And then it became like $1,000. And I was like, I'm definitely not getting this game. Um, but then the Super Nintendo Classic came out and solved that problem for me real quick. So this year, actually, um, I, I finally sat down and played the whole thing over the summer, probably over the course of maybe like two weeks. And... I, I'm sure we'll get more into it as we go, but it, it, it was one of those few games that delivered on the hype. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not in the exact way that people had talked about, but when I played it, it was one of the few games that I immediately was like, I get why so many people love this game. Um, and that feeling never really left me even past the, you know, the final credits. I was like, wow this one's going to stick with me for a while. So, so it was really one that I'm very happy that I finally did sit down and play. Nice. Well, I suppose that actually functions as a good segue into my personal experiences because it sounds really similar <laughs> as a matter of fact. So I, I, I don't even think I knew anyone who owned this actually. Nope. Um, and so it, the earthbound always existed as one of those, like, everybody says it's a masterpiece but i just can't be fucked to actually play it kind of games um and, and i was like like you i was just like yeah you know i'll i'll get around to that someday mm -hmm. um i'm comfortable with this being on my my gamer shame list of the games <laughs> that i have not played um and then i just don't tell anybody about because i'll be booed out of the room probably um it's right up there with actually not having finished chrono trigger for instance I'm probably going to get crucified for that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I I never really had much motivation to play it, but I always knew that it was kind of like around. And then uh, I finally got around to doing it. I got it on my Wii U virtual console, which, of course, you know, Chris 100 uh, percent approves of. It's the only way to, to play <laughs> literally anything. Yes, it is. And uh <laughs> 
And and I'm glad that I finally did because uh, I think much like much like Arnie, I I was going into it thinking that the hype was going to kill the experience, and then there was no way I was going to live up to it. Yep. I actually thoroughly enjoyed myself. Chris, what about you, man? I was actually one of the people that played this game not too long after release. Ah. So I think I, I think I played this game probably in '96 or so. Um, it was one of the friends I had made once I got to middle school. He was one of the few friends that I I knew that actually knew what the hell I was talking about when I said I liked Final Fantasy three. He's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I have all those kind of games, too. I'm like, oh, OK. So he had Earthbound and he had the strategy guide. Of course, he had everything. And after I got done playing Lunar on the Sega CD, I borrowed Earthbound from him. And I just remember in this, it was like one of the summers where I had friends coming over. They're like, you want to come outside and play? And I was like, no. I'm playing this game called Earthbound. I just sit there with like the oldies station on for like music from like the 60s and shit while I was playing Earthbound. I don't know why I was just big into oldies music at the time. It's weird, but I played it then I beat it then and I had some appreciation for it. And I think I gave it back to him. I don't know if I was in possession. Doesn't matter anymore. All my old games are gone. So yeah, whatever. I just have this uh, picture of one of your friends coming over to your house and be like, Chris, it's been two months, please. Please come outside and play basketball with us. And you were like, fuck you, nerd, and shut the door in his face. I got to get Paula, bitch. <laughs> exactly. Who is my friend now? Not you. <laughs> yeah, we're at a beach resort town. Nobody knows what you're talking about. They're all very concerned for your well-being. That's not Mortal Kombat. <laughs> shut up. You don't know games. I'm smarter and better than you because I play RPGs. Okay. I mean, also, to be fair, by the way, your your choice of, of musical accompaniment also seems somewhat apropos given the yeah. whole like Americana shtick that this game's got going on. I would. Yeah, I would. I would say so. It was. Yeah, it was an interesting time for me. In fact, most times are interesting times for me. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of time passed. And, you know, Earthbound was just kind of this underground game. And then, yeah, I saw it just like all of you did around the same time that YouTube started blowing up. And what mm-hmm. was it? The he's uh, now stopped skeletons from fighting, but he called himself the happy, happy video game com- nerd. Yeah. Happy video game nerd. That's right. Yeah. Happy console game or someone different. I think he talked okay. about Earthbound a little bit, too. I'm not sure. But it was mostly the happy video game nerd came out with the video. It's like, oh, someone else likes Earthbound. This is cool. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that finally some people are starting to recognize it. And of course, that meant everybody now all of a sudden had positive memories of this game and it's like yeah fuck it whatever um it's good real hipster in here right now (laughs) yeah yeah but needless to say when it came out on the wii virtual console i picked it up day one uh Mm -hmm. played through it and beat it and then of course for this episode in preparation i played through and beat it again you know i'll get to whether or not it holds up uh later on and my full feelings on it but uh uh, was a game I do have fond memories with as a child, not as much as like Final Fantasy three, Super Mario RPG or Lunar, but it was definitely one I, I appreciated and liked at the time. Hmm. All right. Well, I think we we might be moving into one of the at least I think stronger uh, facets of the game, not to say that there's a lot of weakness here, I think, but uh, and that would be the the plot and the writing that's involved. And so I think, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first just to mix things up a little bit. So I, I have some thoughts on it. I think I feel like just based on our notes and just general like sentiment around this game that I think we're probably going to be mostly in agreement on a lot of these things. 
I don't suspect that this is going to be one of those episodes where uh, our listeners are going to get to enjoy us vehemently disagreeing with one another. So I'm sorry if that's what you were here for. I like conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we found that out in our most recent uh, stream Sunday because apparently they thought that me playing Dark Souls was going to result in a whole bunch of like nerd rage. And I'm like, nah, bro, this is like (laughs) one of my favorite games. What are you talking about? (laughs) But anyway, um, like actually someone said they literally fell asleep. <laughs> so that's that's a good good plug for our Twitch good Sunday content. streams, by the way. The greatest. That's right. Um, if you want ch- chill streams to sleep to this, we've got that for you. But anyway, um, so so, yeah. So one of the things that I think stands out the most for me and probably for a lot of people is just like the, the offbeat humor that you get in a lot of the dialogue and and the character interactions that occur in this game it's one of the things that uh, at least for me kept me more engaged in the goings-on of of just the game and then wanting to see where it was going to go and i would say that even though i think a lot of the other aspects of the game are are pretty solid I would have felt less compelled to want to keep playing it if the the tone of the dialogue and character interactions weren't as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Oh, I'm in agreement. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Yeah. Not to beat the dead horse here, which I probably do because I got to get my apparently a whipped cream out as I just dress this waffle down. Maybe get some chocolate chips on top of it. Sweet. Let's do it. Yeah, the plot, I love it. Maybe not the plot so much, but the writing. Mm-hmm. What's his name? I brought up Marcus Lindblom, the guy who did the localization of this, did such a spot on job. I, I actually want to know what the original context and feeling was in the original Japanese translation. I'm sure it was changed because it was too Japanese, as most things do. But mm-hmm. the way that he brought this over for an American audience, it just blows my mind. You know, it's not something you think about when you're when I was playing it when I was 10, you know, 11, 10 years old. It just wasn't on the top of my mind but as i get older i look at more and more of the things they're saying it's just like this game is fucking fantastic like this is there's so many different meanings on here that no a 10 year old is not going to understand but definitely a 25 year old is going to understand and even the enemy names like, even then were silly but you got like the rambling evil mushroom and the spiteful <laughs> crow and the new age retro hippie just wonkiness and silliness it never takes itself very seriously and is so lighthearted but at the same time finds a way to kind of bring it back and just have serious undertones while not just browbeating you with you know whatever the fuck xenogears wants to try and do but you have something that's <laughs> like lighthearted and enjoyable yeah yeah i i agree 100 percent with what chris is saying and it's to me it's a very good example of somebody letting a talented translator just do like really good work. Like my understanding is that Lindblom was sort of given a lot of leeway in how he was, he would translate, you know, the, the bulk of the dialogue. I always feel like kind of a piece of shit when I say stuff like this, but it's, it's more so that like, it's not that you would never see something like this today, but I just feel like if, if somebody were to make a game like this today, it would be like super focus group to death where it'd be like, oh, yes, we have to put like X amount of absurdist jokes in this one part and make sure the talking vomit is like talks in like rhyming couplet or something. So it's extra weird. Whereas <laughs> this just feels like naturally goofy and, and, and very carefree. 
I think what Chris said is really important in that it never takes itself too seriously. And that sort of lightheartedness eventually makes like the serious moments it does have like kind of hit a lot harder because you're not expecting it from a game like this when it's yeah. when it's like, all right, all right, bucko, it's time to buckle the fuck down and talk about like depression. You're like, oh, shit. OK, yeah, <laughs> you can do it. You just got to believe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and I do think you, I think you made a really good. Well, both of you made a really good point about this. And it, it made me think of something, too, because it, it is really a fine line. Um, well, with just humor in general, but especially if we're talking about how it gets implemented in in video games in particular, because it's very easy to veer off into like try hard land. Right. Mm-hmm. And the thing that comes to mind immediately as much as I enjoyed some of it, but goddamn, some of the borderlands humor is just like, <laughs> do you guys remember that fucking meme? We're going to talk about that meme. That's funny. Right. And like this game is nowhere near that. It's it. The humor is well-written and in a lot of cases, very subtle even, which I think makes you appreciate it that much more and it's not like it it tends not to be super topical it's not like incredibly in your face it knows what it is and it really embraces it and and i think it's it was very well done it's super props to the translator for like single-handedly making this game as entertaining as it turned out to be Mm. there's any modern day comparison i would probably say it's the paper mario series Yeah, yeah that's a pretty good one Except the Paper Mario series never really brings it back to a serious undertone. It just yeah. stays right. lighthearted and and goofy throughout. It doesn't yeah. really try to do a message. But hey, here's Mario doing doing weird and stupid shit. And do you remember? Do you remember the original NES game? Isn't that funny, kids? Ha ha ha. <laughs> um, Pepperidge Farm remembers. Yeah, but there's there's always just this feeling. It's like. A good comparison of the era would be working designs because working designs really tried to do the same thing, too, where they had this really, you know, you had games that had serious plots like like Lunar, like uh, Vi, which sucks. Don't mm-hmm. well, I wouldn't say it sucks, but probably you wouldn't like it if you're listening to this. Yeah. I do because I have nostalgia anyway. Um, like they would have games that would have relatively serious plots, but they would try to do some really contemporary humor like, oh, here's an Austin Powers reference. Like, yeah, that will <laughs> That will be remembered for never get that's going to age real <laughs> yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it just showed like I, I looked up what Limblum did in throughout his career, and he really didn't do anything to the same significance that Earthbound had or really resonated, mostly because he went to the evil empire that was EA, if I'm correct. Oh, no, and you're not going to be able to really do shit. He did come back to Nintendo with uh, Star Fox 2 in 2017 for the mm-hmm. SNES classic. That's cool. Um, but he probably didn't have as much leeway as as Arnie said that he did with Earthbound. And the other amazing thing is he did it without even Itoi really being in contact with him, because this was the day, of course, before really big Internet communication and also the age before memes, which is yeah. probably why you don't hear anything about meme humor. True. Yeah, true. I, I, I would also like to point out that uh almost single handedly due to, I think, the quality of the writing. But this is one of those games where I I remember and and still like have fondness for several NPCs, which does not usually happen. Yeah. Um, most RPGs, it's just like, ah, yes, shop man number 
473. <laughs> Fantastic. But like there are some real awesome personalities that may not even be in the game for that long, but they're just so they they leave such an impression that like they're almost an integral part of the experience. Like, okay, a couple of my favorites. I just want to have some shout outs. Uh, The Runaway Five, the band is amazing. They're awesome. Uh, Also, Brick Road, the man who achieved his dream of literally becoming a dungeon. Kudos to him. Um, also bubble monkey is a good boy and fuck the orange kid he's a poser Dude, fucking fuck that guy apple kid for life i would, That's right. I would die apple, for apple kid, kid gang <laughs> uh i i don't like the runaway five fuck them what why not <laughs> fuck fuck them okay so like you would go into the room and you talk to them and then you come back out and then they'd have you they'd force you to watch their little performance on the stage which i don't even think remembering was cute back when i was 10 like i why am I sitting here watching this like shitty MIDI play? I mean, it's it's <laughs> fine, but bro, friends support friends. You got to yeah, support man. your friends and all their artistic endeavors. Yes, I'm I'm <laughs> sure. I mean, you did pay for their ticket and you did bail them out several times from just, you know, getting into bad contracts like an 18 year old that figured out how a credit card worked. Listen, man, but- how else were you going to get to the desert through that haunted tunnel? You needed to get in the band van. That doesn't That's mean right. they're cool. They're not as cool as like Mr. Saturn. Yeah. Praise Saturn. Okay, well that okay, that that's probably fair. Yeah. The Runaway Five's uh, story arc is just a reminder to always read the terms and conditions. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was getting stuck. Do you have any NPCs that you particularly liked, Arnie? Uh, you know, again, Apple Kid, A number one. He's the shit. Hell yeah. Um, Nessie. Nessie, fucking love Nessie. Doesn't say <laughs> yeah. a goddamn word, doesn't need to. Why? Because it's fucking Nessie. That's right. With that derpy ass face. Also, huge shout out to Jeff's dad. Fucking just yes. <laughs> the most amazing single dad energy on a on a NPC I've ever seen. Oh, who are you? You're my kid. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just ah. just such a fucking amazing person. Also, Nessa's dad. All the dads in this game really just exude just an amazing vibe. Hi, dad power. Oh, can we talk about how amazing Pokey is? Oh, yeah. I, I, I really like Pokey. As a shitlord villain? Yeah. It's yeah. fucking great. He's such I mean, an he ass. fucking nails it. Every time he's on screen, I, I'm, I'm just laughing. Oh, also the B from the beginning. He buzz, always buzz. gets me. Yes, oh. Buzz Buzz always buzz, gets buzz. me. Press F for Buzz Buzz. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before we move on any further, I think what gets what people don't really realize is that the NPCs do carry this game is and because the characters in your party are just completely devoid of any personality that that's actually that They're is true actually not well developed at all. Yeah. What's Paula's personality? What's Jeff's a nerd. Ooh. And <laughs> who's a martial arts guy who doesn't really want to spend any time with you. That's all I really got out of them. Like the NPCs are this game. They make it hands yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Partially, it's the writing. I mean, because the writing is just like we've already talked about so good. Um, But I think what facilitates that writing is also the world that's so insane that all this writing makes sense in it. You know, like Etoy, I think, did such a good job at concurrently setting it in a modern type of setting, which I, I automatically like was drawn to. But also it has this like. There's there's just something off about the entire game from like the second you start playing. There's 
you it always it never feels like it's quite right if that makes any sense yeah right and that's because like it goes back to the roots that this is a japanese view Mm -hmm. it's like a very hyper japanese view of how america is yeah like oh this is how we view the united states and all of its glory or lack thereof (laughs) and that's that's just how they i don't know or how itoi viewed it yeah. yeah, that's always great. Well, he got some things right, like when the police drag Ness into the back room and like seven of them line up to beat the shit out of Dude, him. Dude, that's so <laughs> fucked up, too, because I was play I was playing that section and then my wife was sitting there watching me and she's just like, what? I'm sorry. Does this game like there are just policemen <laughs> beating up a child like uh, apparently? Yeah, I mean, I kicked all their asses, but yeah. it's one of the best parts of the entire game honestly the thing that makes it for me is that i think if i remember correctly when you get to the last guy he's just like fuck this and leaves yep (laughs) (laughs) it's like well he beat everyone else up i'm not having to deal with that shit yep that's right i'm too old for this shit in the immortal words of lethal weapon that's right that's right danny glover he was so close to retirement yeah (laughs) such great writing all right, so I guess we don't have a good functional segue, so we're just going to fucking take this train to the next stop. Slam it in. That's right. The complimentary piece to the, the plot and writing uh, would be the gameplay. So uh, who wants to kick us off on, on that? Because I think we all have a lot of thoughts here. I, I'll start this one off. First and foremost, like just the gameplay in terms of you know battle mechanics, uh, once you get into a battle, which are not random, mm-hmm. which is novel and fresh for the time thank god i know i mean it's not the first one to do it but it really started a trend that i think people were sick of who liked rpgs to a certain extent Mm -hmm. so you know battles are overhead and enemies run into you and there's different methods on how to approach this attack but for the most part this is a very traditional rpg in terms of how you fight battles. It's not much different than Dragon Quest, for example. In fact, it's all laid out almost exactly the same in terms of perspective. You have your enemies on the front. You're, it's, it's from your perspective, and then everyone's hit points are on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same as Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior. Almost not different. Uh, the thing I do like is just a little touch as it does, where your spells are usually atypically named, which... It's not like weird names like you get in Fantasy Star with like, oh, what's Zeo do or or like even Shin Megami Tensei. Like, yep. what is what is I don't know what this spell is. What's Bufu? I don't fucking know Bufu. So you, you have weird spell names and then enemies just sometimes are like, oh, you ran into a dog. The dog is staring into the void or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or just like when your characters have a mushroom on their head and this says just something ridiculous that your character is doing instead of doing what they're supposed to do. And that more goes into the writing, but that's just something you didn't see in any sort of RPG, you know, especially one because it was more contemporary. And so it felt organic and just every other RPG you would play at that time, at least here in the United States and North America, always took itself like very seriously when it came to battles. Like I have a sword and I'm going to defeat the evil warg before it kills me and my buddies. And (laughs) here you are fighting ectoplasms that couldn't be fucking bothered with until you just rolled up and ruined their day. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's part of the charm or or like most of the humanoids, you don't actually like kill or defeat them. It's just like they they came back to their senses. That's right. Exactly. It's it's great. 
after I beat the shit out of him with my frying pan. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I want to touch on that real quick, too, that I very much appreciated the the approach to combat encounters that this Mm -hmm. game took. I. I won't say categorically, but by and large, generally really dislike random encounter systems. Um, It's just it feels just like a unnecessary impediment to getting to where I want to fucking go when I'm stopped every like five seconds. So this was nice in that I at least had some agency around choosing to fight or not. Now, that, of course, didn't always occur because when an enemy catches sight of you they haul ass to catch up with you <laughs> but uh for the most part it, it works pretty well and you know if you manage to get in on an enemy and flank them to encounter them then you get a surprise round which is definitely a nice mechanical advantage there um the other thing with the way that those encounters work that i definitely appreciate and i took advantage of this too is the auto killing kind of feature or auto win, I guess, if you want to call it, you don't really kill too many things, but if you encounter an enemy that's significantly lower level than you, then you just automatically win. You don't even go to the battle screen, Yep. which is great. It streamlines things. And also there are some places in the game where you can totally use that to your benefit. Uh, There was one cave area where two like wisps would always spawn every time you came in And I would just bump into them and just auto defeat them over and over and over again to kind of like level my party up a little bit. So that was that was pretty helpful. What about you, Arnie? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I agree with everything you guys are saying, like in terms of the 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 enemies being on the overworld map. I love that. Like, I, I don't really have time for random battles anymore. I will say that in. I mean, the the game this immediately makes me think of is Chrono Trigger, right? Because Chrono Trigger sort of does a very similar layout for its overworld as well. Mm-hmm. But Earthbound, unlike like it, the thing about Chrono Trigger is it feels like it's, it's got the exact number of enemies at any one point that you need to be to like be the correct level. So there's not a lot of like going back to kill a bunch of stuff over and over again, unless you really want to Right in Earthbound. There's a little bit more of that, but what I will give them credit for is that the XP, uh, handouts like the xp drops of enemies don't really sort of fall off a cliff as soon as you're like a level above them so like what shane is saying is absolutely viable in that you could still find enemies that are much weaker than you but will still give you a decent amount of experience points to quickly level your team up um which is something that you will need because when you get new characters they start at level goddamn one um, for some reason which then involves a, a a very depressing cycle of me trying to fight enemies and having my new characters die constantly. Um, and they never really seem to fucking catch up either. They never really do. You just, I, you just kind of hit a plateau where like Ness essentially is strong enough to just murder everything. And everyone's <laughs> always dragging like five to 10 levels behind him, depending on who they are. Um, but it never felt, I never felt over like sort of, uh, done in by the grind, you know, like I never felt like I had to grind so long that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this now, you know, whereas there, there's definitely some games that will sort of beat you down with that. Like if you're not willing to set aside, you know, 20% of your total playtime of this game to just sit and grind levels, you're not going to get anywhere. 
With Earthbound, I feel like up until towards pretty late in the game, you can, you know, as long as you're not actively avoiding conflict, you can pretty much go through enemies and and sort of keep the story moving along at a pretty convenient clip. Um, there's also a strategy. I don't know if either of you guys did this. I, I was told this by uh, one of my co-hosts on on my podcast that if you see an enemy on the overworld and they haven't seen you yet, you can sort of walk away and like put them off screen and then walk back and they might not yep. be there. Yep. So if yep. you really want to avoid conflict, there are ways to do it um, in, in a not extremely annoying way. So it really seems like the team put a lot of sort of forethought into how combat was going to be executed in the game, which I really appreciate. Yeah, no, I, I definitely abused the shit out of that because there were some sections where it was a little bit of like a dungeon slog to get to where you needed to go. And yep. you'd come up against a group that was like five enemies and you're just like, yep. nope, fuck that. And yep. just reset it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. Also, fuck trees. Fuck trees. Um, fuck the trees. They explode when you when you beat them. Which Dude. Is bullshit. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Also, for some reason, like. They're in this area where, like, whenever I would encounter any enemy, if there was a tree within fucking, like, anywhere in that screen, they would just haul ass immediately <laughs> to where I was fighting. And I just knew I was going to have a bad time. I was like, okay, this is, this is not a good time anymore because there's a tree involved. Uh, that, that, just br- that brings something up that I wanted to talk about is that speaking of trees because peaceful rest valley fuck that place yeah yeah right before uh was it threed because it's yeah. the third place and i love the town naming <laughs> conventions uh was it uh uh it's on it tucson on it tucson and yep. foreside yeah foreside yeah yep. but before you get to before you get to threed i think to go find polly you go through this place called peaceful rest valley yep. and it's still just you yep. and you are dealing with these fucking trees and yep. you don't have any healing powers to my no you do but you don't have a ton of mp yet yeah and you have like no item room to store shit Mm -hmm. so you're going and it's just it's a slog it's brutal and i would say like the first the first third of this game just feels like it takes forever because it's just ness yeah and it's painful when it's just ness and then you get paula and it becomes once she actually gains some levels it becomes it really starts to move along a lot quicker and it, you start to see the real strengths. And then especially when you get Jeff, yep. then it just co- goes along at a really nice click. But prior to that, oh, I can understand yeah. if someone picks up this game and just wants to quit after three hours. Yeah. Peaceful Rest Valley is definitely a, a like a like a real turning point for people playing this game uh, because you have to like that's it's I, I would say that's pretty much the reason Ness is like. 10 levels over leveled for the rest of the game (laughs) because you have to sit in peaceful rest valley and like kill ufos until you're strong enough to really like kick some tree ass and you better be hitting that a button as soon as you kill them because otherwise they will end you when they explode and pray you don't have a fucking yo-yo so you can actually hit them yep (laughs) yeah i i I learned that one the hard way too because i was just like Oh, the yo-yo does more damage. Clearly, I should get that. And then it's just whiffing constantly. And I was yep. like, well, I'm I just like, regret why this am I decision. Yeah, why am I missing like 80% of my attacks? Yep. And then I never bought another yo-yo again for the rest of the game. <laughs> so that kind of 
segues into some other points about the gameplay that I think are worth mentioning, which is uh, the difficult like this game probably could have used a tuning pass on its difficulty curve because it's like Mm -hmm. less of a curve and more like an EKG machine. Like it's just kind of fucking everywhere. Yeah. And I would actually argue that most of this game is not really all that challenging, really. Um, and I, I think that's purposeful. Like the developers kind of went on record saying they were making a game that was a little bit more accessible to more people outside of the hardcore RPG crowd. So it makes sense. But yeah, you'll just randomly come across areas where all of a sudden you will just get fucked up. And <laughs> and that's like even if you were grinding levels. Now, I think I only stopped once or maybe twice like to purposefully just grind for a bit. And that was it, Um, which, like Arnie mentioned, is nice because a lot of the other RPGs, especially contemporaries of the era, were a lot more unforgiving, I think, in that particular aspect. There was a couple of times where if honestly, if I wasn't playing this on the Wii U virtual console that had save state capabilities, I may have very well just not finished this game. Yeah, (laughs) because playing it on like OG hardware and having to go back to whatever your last save was when you just unexpectedly hit like a brick wall of difficulty is not super fun. And there is, there's one in particular that I wanted to point out because it was probably one of the most like egregious parts for me. And I don't know if anybody else had that issue or not, but Mm -hmm. when you go to Moonside in Foreside, (laughs) you basically get like transported to this like bizarro version of the city. And as soon as you step outside of the building, it's like the, the well milk bar, I think is what it was, which is probably mm-hmm. not what it actually was in Japanese, but Moloko bar probably. Yeah. Like clockwork orange, <laughs> a little bit of the ultra violence in out and out. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> me and my, me and my droogs. So as soon as you step outside, you just get immediately accosted by like, abstract art and like living fire hydrants and shit and they are like weirdly more difficult than anything that you'd fought prior to that and i felt like i missed something oh the fucking the ones i remember are the taxi cabs oh taxi cabs fucking run your ass down the crazy taxis yeah 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 and it, it just feels like such a weird spike in difficulty and on top of that when you get transported to moonside you don't really have a way to rest to like heal yourself mm-hmm. either so you're suddenly thrust into this gauntlet that you have no choice but to just slog your way through and it was just it didn't feel good like actually that was one point where i saved my game and I stopped playing for like a couple of days because I was like, I, I need to come back to this later because this is this is not fun right now. Yeah, I think Moonside was mitigated for me somewhat because it's honestly maybe my favorite area of the game, like mm-hmm. like aesthetic wise and yep. writing wise. Sure. I yeah. loved it. As soon as I was there, I was like, this is nuts. The two times I remember like just getting fucking destroyed where obviously Peaceful Rest Valley was one, mm-hmm. and then there was a boss you fight in the mall, and I remember there was being like coffee cups and electric guitars in there that was just oh yeah that's that part yeah I know what you're talking about just kicking my ass. Um, and then the only other part I rem- I like remember v- struggling a lot was towards the end in that like lava cave. 
Um, like oh, it's like a yeah. volcano type place. That's the that's the part I most remember. Like, all right, I gotta sit and grind for like an hour or something. Well, you know it's gonna be bad when you have like normal random enemy encounters that use boss music. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially like in the last dungeon when you're fighting Starmen. Oh, and the Starmen, like Jesus. <laughs> You'll get fucked up. Yeah. I mean, if you know you. what you're if you know what you're doing and utilizing Paula the way you should and using yeah. her spells, it's not that bad, especially if you're if you use Jeff the way that you're supposed to use him and like go rest with broken equipment to get some mm-hmm. of the best equipment in the game. Mm-hmm. It's it's extremely manageable. And when Pooh catches up as well. Yeah, I didn't I didn't have those difficulties in the in the lava cave. I don't remember really having the difficulty at Moonside this time, but I do know a lot of people do i just think i just over leveled myself it wasn't intentional it would just be i'd ex- go around exploring and yeah as arnie alluded to earlier just the enemies just keep giving you experience points so at some point you're going to be there i also found when you died it it wasn't that punishing it just took away half the amount of money that you yeah. had that was currently equipped but you got to maintain all your experience and levels and status and everything like that so if you died especially if you happen to get a fucking mushroom on top of your head in the middle of peaceful rest Valley where there's no one to take the mushroom <laughs> off oh, and you start killing your party because fucking mushrooms and there's no item that can cure it to my yeah. knowledge fucking mushrooms. Well, and even if, when you're not in battle, the mushroom makes it so your controls are all fucked. So you can't oh, even yeah. walk straight. Uh, <laughs> fuck the mushrooms, man. <laughs> But I, I do I do appreciate it that when you go on a drug trip and you get drink the hallucinogenic tea that, you know, essentially Itoy is telling 10 year olds to get high. Dude, Man, just oh, a, what the fuck even just was thing, that? Yeah, just a thing that would never be in a Nintendo game now. No, like no. no chance. But even like when you do that, it's like, yeah, we know that you've gotten your ass kicked before, but you can pick yourself up and you can do it, guy. It's like, oh, <laughs> the game knows it was being unfair to me. Thank yeah. you, game. Thank you, drug tea. Yeah, I wonder if because there's even when you when you do these fights and you see these experiences, the experience points, they just get ridiculous, like very quickly. Like I remember towards the end of the game, it's like. Oh, you've defeated so and so. Here's like twenty thousand experience points, and it's like this is like yeah. a regular enemy. <laughs> like, what is happening here? That's nuts. <laughs> Do we want to quickly touch on the uh, the rolling HP meter? You have to. Yeah. Oh, sure. we have to. I mean, you have to. Yeah, it's kind of important. I think. <laughs> I think so. The most important HP meter in gaming history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially if you don't understand how it works. Yeah. <laughs> like apparently you didn't. <laughs> not initially no i i had no idea so I, I okay i thought that when you take damage and your hp numbers start rolling like a you know a speedometer on your fucking car or like a mm-hmm. jackpot machine or some shit like i thought yep. that was just an aesthetic choice that they made just to mock you as you watch your character die i mean ostensibly that that's what it is pretty well that's actually what ended up happening anyway but <laughs> No, I mean, so I thought it didn't mean anything. And then mm-hmm. partway through the game, I just realized because uh, like I would end a battle and like I was, I don't know, it was like on fucking fire or poisoned or something and it would be <laughs> counting down and then the HP countdown would stop because the battle was done. And I was like, oh, yep. wait a minute. That's literally counting down in real time. Holy shit. And so that changed my approach to combat completely. I feel like mostly for the better because now I was cognizant of this, but also 
then you do have those scenarios where like you just know you're not going to have time to do what you need to do before a party member dies. So you just get to kind of like helplessly sit there and watch their HP tick down to zero. Yep. I can't tell you how many times because I love the mechanic one because aesthetically, I think it's a really cool idea. Like mechanically, I mean, yeah. And two, it adds a lot of tension in certain situations, but I can't tell you how many times, uh, a, I got super flustered and like forgot to like set a healing spell. Or B, I fucked up and picked the wrong spell while I was trying to yeah. pick the healing spell um, and didn't do shit. Um, or C, I did pick the healing spell and then I have to like essentially forego like everybody else's moves because I'm like, I'm not quick enough to pick the moves that I want and also pick this healing spell before you die. So I'm going to pick this healing spell and everybody else is just like doing a standard attack. Yep. Yeah, or or the the final option, which is you pick the healing spell and then you try to go through the rest of the party as fast as you can, yeah. only to have the person die anyway, and then you cast the healing spell on fucking no one. <laughs> yep, that's what normally happens. Okay, so I have a question because I I don't know this for sure. In the oh, wait a minute, I played this on Wii U. I know mm. Chris, you did also, right? Yeah, I played on the Wii U. Okay, Arnie, where 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 did you play this? On the Nintendo, on the Super Nintendo Classic. Was the auto battle option is that always been a part of the game or was that a recent addition? That's always always okay. been that's always, so it's been, always been there. The okay, good. I just didn't want to start talking about something that was like, oh, that's for fucking babies for the Wii U. <laughs> okay. I mean it is, but <laughs> whatever. So actually, honestly, the auto battle, I used that partially for encounters where i knew the enemies and i knew what they were doing and i knew that i could just kind of like breeze my way through it without having to think about like skill management but also it was this scenario exactly when i could be manually doing a battle and then as soon as i saw somebody get trucked for like 400 damage or something the next time my turn would come up i would just immediately go auto battle because the game would choose stuff way faster than i humanly could and a lot of times that would save my party member from dying. <laughs> That's smart. I didn't even try it. If I'm yeah, being honest, I, I never tried auto battle. <laughs> now that I know that now, now I kind of wish I did. Dude, what? I used it a lot. I kind of wish I did. I, I used it. I used it in some situations, but never to like auto heal my party. I think I've just been traumatized by enough RPGs where it's like all your Party members are AI controlled and they always do the stupidest shit that I'm like, I can't trust the computer to do anything. Well, surprisingly, the auto battle in Earthbound is actually pretty intelligent. It's because it's on the Wii U, Shane. That that's that's got to be it. Yeah, that's the only reason. Sure. The eight, the, the Wii U is thinking that's that's the Wii U. <laughs> that's that's mm-hmm. that was the slogan. I remember it. It's thinking just like it was yesterday. That's the Wii U. Yeah. No other console did that. All right. So while we're still talking about gameplay mechanics, we need to talk about the inventory. Mm-hmm. It sucks. It's fucking awful. It sucks. <laughs> I, I like this game a whole lot. And generally speaking, I'm OK with playing like inventory management sim or whatever, because like for fuck's sake, I am a Diablo 2 fanboy like inventory Tetris is my shit. Right. But. Who boy. Uh. I I counted, by the way, I went to the Earthbound wiki. There are 243 distinct items that you could pick up in this game. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, let me tell you, you have nowhere near that many inventory slots. <laughs> Most of them are worthless, too. Yeah. And that's half the fun. That's figuring I out saying, which items are that worthless. That doesn't help, Chris. <laughs> yep. I think it's funny. You don't like spending 30 minutes, like, manually passing, like, one item to one <laughs> character so you can open a slot on this character so a third character can give them a character-specific item that only they can use yeah. in this character because they had to pick it up because the character who could have used it had all of his inventory slots full. Like, that doesn't sound like fucking exhilarating to you yeah no that's bliss that's yep that's it that's at least like a quarter of my playtime with this game is fucking around with inventory items something tells me that was part of the meta and that was part of the parody of traditional rpg so like you know what so funny when they give you limited inventory let's make this miserable yeah yeah Mm -hmm. because let's just poke fun at the way other rpgs do do it isn't it funny you can't carry the things you want to it's so funny yeah i like the idea that jeff can fit a whole bazooka in his pants but paula (laughs) can't reach in like Pooh's pocket to get a cookie or whatever she needs to not die i i also appreciate that uh part of an integral part i might even say of your inventory management in earthbound is calling up your younger sister who is probably definitely breaking some sort of labor laws and (laughs) running her own fucking business where like you have some asshole show up and be like hey i heard you got too much shit i'll uh i'll take some of it for you if you pay me yeah she's a go-getter honestly that shit took so long that i just started throwing shit away like towards the end of the game yeah same I was like, fuck, I'll throw this away. I don't need it. <laughs> I threw away most of the stuff that I got. It's just like, I don't need this shit. Oh, this only cures 50 hit points. This is garbage. <laughs> yeah, the, the usefulness of hamburgers fell off pretty quickly in the game, yeah. unfortunately. They were the shit in the early game, though. I know, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so outside of that, I guess, uh, maybe not maybe not a high point. But while we're on the subject of items, I feel like there is one more thing that I just need to bring up because it, it did irk me a little bit. And, and that is that there are some some of the ultimate weapons for your party that are like RNG gated behind a one in one hundred and twenty eight chance of dropping from a specific enemy type in a specific spot that you would never know that's where you need to look for it. (laughs) And granted, ultimate weapons are not required in order to finish the game comfortably, obviously, because I didn't fucking get them. But just from like the pseudo completionists brain that I've got, it really bothered me that Pooh's only weapon was this. That if you didn't get a one in 128 chance (laughs) for it to drop, that he just straight up would just be fisticuffing his way through the rest of the game. Like, actually, just Pooh in general and his whole, like, I only wear special items that you find in dungeons because I'm too fucking good for plebe clothes. Also, (laughs) I'm that, like, annoying vegan kid who's really into astrology and I'm not going to eat any of the same food that the rest of the party eats <laughs> Pooh is so unnecessary why do we have him because he's there he's like a worse paula but his name is Pooh. yeah his name's Pooh, dude is that the, so that that's it that's the justification fuck yeah. i mean okay great good job everyone i think by the time you get Pooh, you're just like 
Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> like, you're pretty much good with everybody else. So, really, the thing that annoyed me about having Pooh is just, like, when you get him, it's just, like, there really isn't anywhere I could just, like, comfortably get you leveled without having to go back, like, at least yeah, a little bit. Struggle. Because all the enemies here are just gonna, like, immediately murder you. Oh, then he just fucks off. Well, yeah, and actually, the, well, the timing of it, though, right? You get him when you're on the beach city, yep. and then, like, I think the next logical step, if I remember, is to more or less figure out how to take the boat, which necessitates a, an encounter with a fucking <laughs> kraken. Yep. <laughs> like it's just it's, it's so badly timed and yeah you're right arnie you know what that's exactly how i felt when Pooh showed up i was just like uh oh okay i mean you're here now i mean i feel like the three of us were doing fine but okay yeah what i'm sorry what is it you want some fucking granola from whole foods all right great well I guess that's what we're doing now. I never really had to deal with that because I just used Paula as a healer. I never really had to yeah. worry about the items. Yeah, Paula was the healer. I didn't worry about it too much, no, but it was annoying. And Chris, you recall this because I fucking said it in our Discord at one point. You did. Where yes. I was just like, I swear to God, if I feed one more high level healing food item to that motherfucker and he's just <laughs> like, hmm, that was a good two hit points. I'm going to fucking end myself. What the hell? Like he's, oh God, he's so useless. I didn't mind him. I found him to be a useful party member towards the end of the game. Not as good as anybody else. Probably the worst one, but could have done without he, him. He served his purpose. Yeah. He sort of, he's sort of there to just double down on whatever you need. Like if you need, physical attack then he you know he compliments ness if you need magic he'll compliment paula like yeah he's, he doesn't he doesn't specialize in anything i at least not that i can remember i was never like oh shit thank god i had poo in my party for this fight yeah um but he's just like a serviceable fourth guy to take a turn yeah the real ringing endorsement also the one in 128 thing it's i i don't understand it because if you didn't know that you wouldn't care and you don't need it. So you'll be OK. No, no, you're you're right. And you're right. And it's not it's not at all required. That's why I said that. But yeah, even if. OK, so th look at it from this perspective, though. Right. It's like even if you didn't let's say you didn't know that because you probably wouldn't if you were just mm -hmm. playing this game, you bought it, brought it home. You're super excited, whatever. You would have no idea. And for every other character, that's fine because you wouldn't know any better with Pooh. You know that the only gear items he has are things that you have to find. And so you will most likely get to the end of the game wondering how in the absolute fuck you managed to not get his weapon. I cannot be the only one that would be bothered by that. I yeah. think you are because God damn it. And Final Fantasy are better bare barehanded. That is not true. There's has to be other people that He's would be like, what no, the fuck? Barehanded. I think I think the part that uh, that annoyed me was what you already talked about in that it wasn't that I had to, like, go out and try to find this gear or this weapon. Like, because, again, I like by the time Pooh's there, I'm like, I don't give a shit. What annoyed me was the fact that, like, he just wouldn't take anything else. You know, right. like it's like I have like a 10,000 things you could fucking use. And you refuse to use any of them. That's what annoys me. Like, you could be buck naked for all I care. Like, yeah. but the fact that I have all these things that I could give you to make you better and you won't take them is making me very upset right now. 
I have all of these diamond bands. What the fuck, poo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, take Just, this fucking Saturn pendant or whatever it was. <laughs> so stop dying every third battle or some <laughs> shit. Just stop and, it. I mean, I got desensitized to ultimate weapon shit in like Final Fantasy X, where you have to like dodge like 500 lightning bolts oh, to get yeah, no. like Kamari's stupid shit or whatever it was. That was Lulu's. Lulu's, that's right. God damn it, I hated that fucking shit. Fuck the lightning bolts. I've never done it and never I've will. I've never done it, no. Fucking lightning bolts. I didn't even bother with any of the ultimate weapons in that game. I started oh. to try to, and then I realized what I was going to have to do, and I just, like, noped the fuck right out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We need to do an episode on that game sometime, because, ugh, stories about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we're kind of on a negative note with the gameplay here, and I think all of us have some positive feelings about this game. So let's yeah. let's wrap up the gameplay on a positive note. I'm going to take it right out of Shane's notes here. Sure. Uh, with the family aspect, how everything kind of ties in. Yes. Uh, like you're calling your dad to save your game and to get your cash or uh, you're getting homesick and you have to call your mom in order to make the status effects better. And you already mentioned mm-hmm. like your sister is part time and uh, is is breaking child labor laws in Eagle Land <laughs> in order to store your stuff. And then you have your dog who's a party member in the very beginning of the game. And that's all really cool stuff. Yeah, was I the yeah. only one that kept going back to my house and would always check with the dog to be like, is he, are you a party member again now? Do you want to, you want to <laughs> yeah. come with me? And he's just like, nah, son, I'm lazy. I'm staying here. I'm um, like, God yeah. damn it. Better than poo. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, no, but you're right. Yeah. I, I actually really, really appreciated that whole dynamic. And it's like, it's, it's interesting because the, the, like the fact that you have an actual game mechanic surrender, like surrounded Uh, around the fact that like ness's combat effectiveness is actually reduced the longer like he goes without calling his mom because he's homesick is like equal parts insane and also brilliant i think yeah you put it right in the notes here uh shane that it just really it really adds to this feeling that i think itoy was going for with the whole game and and i don't think you know we've really touched on this but like everything in here sort of designed to make you feel like you are a kid mm-hmm. going out on this like wacky wild adventure the fact that like all your armor is like a baseball hat and like a shirt or whatever the fact that like your weapons are frying pans and baseball bats and and bazookas and stuff like all that stuff is just like wow they really put a lot of effort into being like you are a kid like you have crazy psychic powers but at the end of the day you were a kid. These are your friends who are also kids. And what I think it ultimately ends up doing for me, at least, is it makes the the problems and the worlds and the conflict just feel so much bigger and so much more imposing mm-hmm. because you're sort of unlike another RPG where it's like start off the game and it's like you are the chosen one. You are the hero. <laughs> like you are the only one of all these fuckers who could possibly save this the universe. This game is like, you know, you're kind of cool, I guess. Like, you can do, like, some cool mind shit, but, like, this is a star man that's literally, like, 20 feet tall and will step on you if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you're not, you're, you're not Prince Chiseled McBeef or anything. <laughs> exactly. Like, you're not some mega roided out, like, neck man um, <laughs> who's just going to kill everything in front of him. You're, at the end of the day, just a kid. And it really works, you know, in the build up to what we're going to talk about a little bit to the final boss, 
really, really works that angle very well that once you get to that final boss and you have to do what you have to do, you're like, this makes so much sense because I'm not some guy that can just like destroy anything I want whenever I want. I'm just a kid. And this is like something that's so much bigger than me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I will say about the whole like family dynamic too, that uh, Chris touched on it briefly, but I, I actually really appreciated the, the idea that your dad is the one, like when you call him up that like deposits money into like a checking account for you. And that's how you get cash to like buy stuff because it's a really ingenious way of still giving the player currency rewards for combat encounters, because that's how you behind the scenes. That's how you're accumulating that number. Yeah. But it never like explicitly tells you that. And so it's Mm -hmm. a way of still giving you that for defeating enemies without kind of like stepping into that weird, like video gamey space of like, Oh, right. This random stray dog also happened to have cash on it. Yeah, I like that. That is a part because in the beginning, when you go to Pokey's house, doesn't his dad or his mom like say that they don't want you around Pokey and like basically imply that you're like a poor piece of shit. And then your dad's just like depositing 55 grand in your account like (laughs) every other time you call him. His his dad also said that he lent your dad like hundreds of thousands of dollars. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, right. That's actually where that money's coming from. And then you're like, oh, maybe maybe that is what happened. My dad's just actively embezzling from his company. <laughs> My dad is the piece of shit. He's just using me as a as like to launder money. Yeah. At the end that's, of the game, this gets pinched for tax evasion. <laughs> he, he's got to do five to 15. And the thing with the money, too, is like you also get to a point towards the end of the game where your dad's just like rolling the dough in and you're just like, oh, yeah. dad, you, you don't. Please stop. I can't carry anymore. I have nothing else to buy. You can't buy my love, Dad. You have to be present That's for right. the big moments in my life. When are you coming home? <laughs> you're just a you're a slush fund at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I like the I, I really enjoy the the dichotomy of my dad like actively trying to buy my love and then having the audacity to be like, oh, I think you've played enough, son. Like, maybe you should take a break. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, right. Yeah. <laughs> take a break. That motherfucker just calls you up out of nowhere. And he's just like, hey, I think you've probably uh, you've been out for a while, huh? And I'm like, you're oh. not my real dad. <laughs> like, if somebody needs to take a break in this family and come home, it is you, sir. <laughs> Well, but he also like every time you call him on the phone, he's also just like, oh, you're just like your mom. She's such a hard worker. (laughs) Where is he? They never say like, I think she alludes to the fact that he's like on a business trip or something. Yeah, he went out to go buy cigarettes a few years back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the final boss, like you said, Arnie, you know what? I think it's more of those things that I've come to appreciate it less and less as mm-hmm. I've gotten older, just because I know how to deal with it yeah, and I know what's coming. So the emotional impact, I think that I, I got when I played this game, uh, returning to it when they initially came out on the Wii U virtual console, I think in like 2012 or 13 or somewhere around there. Like then it was like, Oh, this is really great. I think even when I played it when I was kids, like, Oh, this is so cool. Like all my friends are helping me. Yeah. But now that I've done that a couple times, I, I can kind of understand uh, if someone would be like, yeah, this is kind of a lame mechanic because I have no idea what's going on. They do give you a new option of prey. Yeah. Uh, was it unless it was already there? It, was, it was always already there. there. Yeah. OK. 
But you know, you, you, you're trying everything and nothing works and you're just like, yeah. okay, I, what happens if I pray or I think it alludes to, you need to do something different. Yeah. So it's, I figured it out. Well, no, I can't say I figured it out without a strategy guide because it came with one. <laughs> so that would be a lie, but I figured it out with a strategy guide. So I don't understand why other people couldn't. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I figured it out too late in my first time I fought the boss. So I had to fight him a second time. And mm-hmm. then I, I knew what I was doing and it was pretty easy. And I agree with you. Like, I think it, the, I think it really depends like the effectiveness of this boss fight is very dependent on how like emotionally invested you are in the story and its characters up to that point. And I think that's sort of harder to deliver on when you've played the game more than once. Like, I think the first time you play it is when you're going to get the most emotional resonance out of that from a player. Right. But, and I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't played it, but especially the part where the game asks you a certain thing and then brings it back later on. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm being too vague. No, you're, you're getting it right on. But when that happened, I was like, Oh my God. I was like, they thought of this in 1995. They'd barely invented electricity back then. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Okay. I, I feel like maybe I'm a little, a little bit of an outlier on this one in that. Well, so I, I too also had to do this boss fight twice. Yeah. But it was not because I figured it out too late. It was because I fought this fucker for like 20 or 30 minutes. Like <laughs> I I'd prepped myself. I was like, all right, I'm going to use all my best abilities. We're going to use our defense shit. Like I'm, I'm ready for this. And then I just sat there beating my face against this asshole. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I not doing? And I just broke down and had to go look it up. And I was like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> That's what I'm supposed to do. So. Yeah it did not have an emotional impact on me. Like when, when I did the thing and then I saw, like Chris said, like all your friends joining in and blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, that, that was cool. Like I appreciated that. But to get to that point, I was just like, "Mm, okay, this is a little contrived, but all right. Yeah. I, I keep trying to like, and maybe Chris can speak on this since he played it more contemporaneously to when it came out. But I keep trying to put myself in the shoes of like if I was playing it at the time, you know, it, it sort of seems like it's it, it sort of seems like what happened to you and me, Chris, is what the game kind of wants to happen. Where like if you've played any JRPG up to this point, you're basically thinking, OK, this is the biggest, baddest guy. I'm going to fight this whole game. Like I have to like get my levels straight, got to get my stuff ready, got to be prepared. And then for none of that to work. And then you'd be like, okay, like, what is happening? Like, am I, did I just screw this whole thing up? And then sort of have that moment of discovery where, like, you stumble across it because maybe it wasn't as accessible back then, even though, obviously, if you bought the game, it came with a strategy guide, so you probably just read that. Right. And then sort of have that realization as it's slowly happening, like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then read that stuff. Like, Chris, I don't know if you remember, but, like, the first time you played it, do you did you have to like sort of look at the strategy guide to figure it out? Did you sort of intuit it? And was it what was the feeling once you finally started doing it? Oh, I don't remember how I exactly figured it out. I'm just going to assume it was from the strategy guide. Yeah, but it wasn't anything that blew me away because Final Fantasy four did something really similar. OK, if you remember the ending of that, but it it wasn't the same because I think Final Fantasy four is more automatic. But the mm-hmm. the emotion that I did get out of it was like, 
all these amazing characters that have been with you on on your journey throughout were were contributing in a sense. And if you developed an attachment to the world, you know, even for me, I think it was more subconsciously because I never Mm -hmm. really thought about it, especially in my second playthrough, just how much I became attached to the world and how much I I, I just love the characters and going through different towns and figuring out problems and just realizing that as I was going through the story, you know, as as the characters, you were developing relationships more with the areas that you were going to. Uh, that were more established than what you would get in a traditional JRPG, where it's like you get there, you solve the problem, you move on. And that's essentially mm-hmm. what Earthbound is, too, right? Yeah. But it was just because the writing was so well executed and the the conversations you were having with the, with, with the denizens of these these towns were probably more organic and and written so well that you cared for them more than what you would in just an average town in, in even a Final Fantasy or a Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. It's, it's especially because they're they're not written as stiffly and that again goes back to Lindblom's translation and that's i think why i got so emotional at the end of the first couple times of course not this time because i knew what to expect yeah but uh yeah the the first couple times i played it absolutely are you kind of the same way yeah i don't know if i was just primed for something like that like if it was just something different from a lot of the stuff that i'd been doing and i knew that the ending had a gimmick to it i just didn't know what it was and I'm glad that I didn't dig into it any deeper before I actually played it, because I think if you know, that's why I'm like trying so hard not to spoil anything, because if you go into that fight knowing almost anything, I feel like it just it's not going to hit the same. I 100 percent agree. Uh, I, yeah. If, if you know what's coming, it's going to be harder to appreciate. Yeah. Also, Ga- Gigas Gigas is is terrifying like if i had seen this as yeah. a child i would have been like oh fuck this like this is terrible there are like theories that's like supposed to represent an aborted fetus or something like that yeah some people say there's like a silhouette of a fetus in in the in the like model in the background i guess because he's just the whole screen which it wouldn't surprise me considering what i've heard about itoi yeah so i i suppose that's going to be as good a segue as anyway to uh talk a little bit about graphics <laughs> i that Great segue. Way to yeah. way to pull that one off, Shane. Yeah, thank you. The whole game looks like a bunch of fetuses stitched together. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Just a bunch of aborted fetuses that you can wear around your neck like Dalsim. Oh, God. Baby skulls, everybody. Is that what those are? I guess yeah. that makes sense because they're so tiny. Right? Yeah. They're the, they're the skulls of the children he couldn't save. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So I, I don't know about the two of you. I, I don't have a whole lot to say, honestly, about the graphics here. I mean, I think they... They had a specific aesthetic in mind, mm-hmm. and I think they pretty well nailed it. I will say that mm-hmm. the, the sort of like wacky enemy sprites that you come across and the psychedelic sort of backgrounds that you have to the battle encounters mm-hmm. definitely are the standouts, I think, for me. Um, and that's kind of those function really, really well with what we're going to talk about immediately after this, which is the the music and the soundtrack. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's the standouts for me outside of that. Like there's, I don't think there's anything bad about it. As far as I'm aware, I think everything's pretty solid. It's really hard to even bitch about the graphics in this game. And that's not because like they're really good. It's, this is a throwback before there are really throwbacks. The entire intention of these, the graphical style was to strongly resemble 
the NES game. And yes, it looks a lot better than the NES game. There's no question. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of more colors, a lot more backgrounds, everything like that. But yeah, it was just to inspire that 8-bit feeling. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go into this and be like, well, why doesn't it look like other RPGs around the same time that were coming out? Why is it, you know, not as colorful or why isn't it as well developed? It wasn't supposed to be. But because it is a 2D sprite-based RPG with light isometric effects, not mm-hmm. heavy ones, thank fucking Christ. <laughs> because it doesn't have, because it, it's like that, yeah, it holds up well. Because 2D sprites on the Super Nintendo will always hold up well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not something you're going to remember as one of the most graphically strong games on the system, but it's very digestible. Yeah, to me, it, it worked because, and, and once I started reading about it and I realized, oh, it's supposed to be like this sort of 8-bit-ish take on 16-bit hardware, I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. But to me, just from playing it, I was like, this just screams like very childlike sort of coloring book feel to it. Everything is very like colorful, but in sort of like very loud, like palette colors. Um, as opposed to, you know, a lot of the other JRPGs you might play, which are like high fantasy and like everything shaded very well. And like, you know, like late era Super Nintendo games are like the peak of of 16 bit pixel art and they look gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And this is like definitely not that. No, but no. because of what game this is and the writing and the and the story and the world, the art just kind of fits where it's this sort of weird take that you're like did they make it look like this on purpose but then when you yes. get to areas like moonside or magicant um which we <laughs> which we haven't talked about yet no where everything is like purposely extremely weird i feel like it works because if you had areas like that but they looked like very high quality polished like pixel rpg type stuff I feel like the the effect of it's supposed to be like this very weird sort of topsy turvy magical world wouldn't convey as well in my mind. Yeah, I don't I can't see this game with any other different graphical styling. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't work. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think the almost simpler take on on the sprites and stuff and the way that they sort of designed a lot of the characters um it does definitely contribute to that like well what you were saying earlier on arnie about how like everything about this game just feels like a little like weirdly off yeah and and all of the artwork kind of directly contributes to that feeling i think (laughs) i will say magic can't since you brought it up and this is going back so i'm sorry for for the waffle express but I'm not picking. I'm I'm playing with this. I'm not. I'm not bitter. I sound bitter as fuck. But it's fine. We're gonna have another follow up yeah. comment. It's gonna be like fuck you guys. So uh, fuck Mary Kill pancakes, French toast, waffles. Ooh, uh, I feel like I'm offended that crepes are not in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I would just fuck Mary and kill them all. <laughs> in no particular order. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, Magic Ant. I don't know why we didn't talk about it because that's probably. I hate playing in that section every yeah. single time I get to it because it's just Ness again and it reminds me of the shitty beginning of the game. Sorry, I mean, the beginning of the game just does kind of slog and sucks, like I said earlier. Yeah. Like, when you talk to all the characters and you talk to all the NPCs there, it just makes it my favorite part of the game because it's almost like a retrospective mm-hmm. of everything you've accomplished and done. 
and what you're trying to accomplish moving forward beyond that. So, yeah, Magicant's great. Magicant is just it's a masterpiece, a jewel of an area in that game. Yeah, I remember researching into this game that this was a, a, a one of the areas that got censored because in the Japanese game, Ness is nude. Yeah, completely nude. Entire area. Yeah. Walking around buck naked. And I was like, wow, that mm, <laughs> maybe that one I'm OK with. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go down the roads where, where that could lead. So let's just put, yeah, let, exactly. let's not talk about naked children. It's not a good look. But they gave him pajamas. What, what I was, what made me mad was that they gave him the pajama and no hat. And I was like, why wouldn't you just go all in and give him like a little sleeping cap or something, you know? Yeah. Like that would have been like cute. Nemo. It'd be too close to little Nemo then. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you give him a little, a little holder with a candle on it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge his way through there. <laughs> exactly. For the sake of not continuing to ego our way through this uh, podcast, let's start talking about some of the uh, music and sound design. Good. Wow, great. I mean, 10 out of 10. Practically. Yeah, overall, I very much enjoyed it. When I, I think it, it's one of those things that grows on you as you play the game. Because I remember when I when I started, especially the battles, I was like, what is happening here? Yeah. What am I what am I listening to right now? <laughs> but then as you go along and you see all the weird shit that happens, like that's the whole vibe of this game really, I think, is that when you start off, you're kind of like trying to suss out like what the deal is and then as you go along it sort of just desensitizes you to all the weird stuff happening and by the end you're just like completely in like i was at the towards the end of the game i was like oh yeah this is this all makes sense now like i'm in a robot suit now because my soul has left my body in an alternate dimension that makes sense Yeah, and you know, I'm encountering enemies and listening to jazz fusion like this. Yep. Mm -hmm. This is the world I live in. Exactly. It's not a flawless OST. I like Dungeon Man. I fucking hate Dungeon Man's tracks. Mm. Uh, they fit, but they just they they're grating. Yeah. And just like the dungeons themselves. I guess it's appropriate. I, I guess that's what's the best thing about this this soundtrack is is just everything fits well mm -hmm. if you listen to it just independently on its own it's not going to be the same kind of experience you're going to get from other rpgs or just really well-renowned soundtracks of the time because it's just yeah it's not as catchy it's more it's not even atmospheric but they're the music is just appropriate mm -hmm. and i can't see any other soundtrack matching with what's going on in the game. There's just the way the soundtrack, the music is developed, matches the game so well that it's perfect for it. Now, the actual sounds themselves suck. <laughs> I didn't like the, the actual sound effects. I thought they were terrible. You don't like the sounds of when you select attacks and stuff? Or whatever that sound Well, is. when you get really, get hit really hard, it's like, <laughs> I, I, what? No, I don't like it. When I would do like the psi attacks, like the bigger mm -hmm. ones, it always made me feel like something was about to crawl out of my speakers because it's like, 
Yeah. There's like 17 effects going on at once. Yeah. I did not like the sound effects. Even like when they do a smash attack or oh, yeah. uh, when, when you have an impact on an enemy. I just, I didn't like it. Yeah. It's so satisfying though, the visual when you see that big smash come on the screen. Oh, the visual that goes along with it is it is is great. Yeah. That is great. Also, am I misremembering or wasn't didn't this game also have like some essentially like lifted, like kind of 16 bitted out like Beatles tracks or something or like songs that were meant to like be like kind of rockabilly and like rock and roll inspired? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah, no, they they definitely like went on record as saying that they wanted to purposefully include several different distinct musical styles. Yeah. Just to like change things up. And yeah, and well, okay, so real quick, the sound effects, I, apparently I was not as bothered by them as both of you were. I, th <laughs> I thought they were fine. I don't know. Um, I, I think some of the some of the side effects were a little um, much like the yeah. star shatter was like, holy fuck, you need to <laughs> turn that down a little bit. But yeah, I hope you're not that, photosensitive. If you're oh, doing right. Yeah. bother me so much i will say that i i actually kind of disagree on the point about not having like well it wouldn't be the same but i feel i still feel like you'd have a good experience of just listening to this ost on its own because a lot of the tracks if you're if you're taking out some of like the weird esoteric ones like dungeon yeah. man like i actually think most of these tracks kind of just stand on their own as like kind of some you know decent like funky sort of bumping tracks that you could listen to yeah. which also by the way this is sad but given that i had never played this game before i recognized part of the boss music from fucking vine clips i just i want to put that out there that like for a while apparently uh, a, a clip of the boss music from Earthbound was used very often in like Vine slash like TikTok clips. That's awesome. And I just thought that that was some random bullshit music that the kids were using. <laughs> and then the first time I got into a boss fight in Earthbound and I was like, oh, that's where this is from. And I guarantee you that none of those people know that that's where it's from. <laughs> You thought the boss fight was just going to last six seconds. It's the hipster vines, man. They all know. They watched Happy Video Game Nerd and are now one with the cult of Earthbound. There you go. Blue, blue. There you have yeah, it. Yeah, the blue, blue, the blue, blue people. Blue, blue. The happy, happy village people. I will say I appreciate two things with the music highly appreciate is that the variety of battle themes mm -hmm. there is no one standard battle theme it's just it's almost different every single time you get into battle which is awesome because that's where you normally spend most of your time in an rpg yep. and and the other one is when you're choosing the name for your characters and naming everything at the very beginning of the game how that tune has direct samples from the opening of monty python's flying circus is fantastic <laughs> i didn't even notice that now i gotta I go back either. and listen to it again it's there it's awesome Oh, that's cool. I I have one thing on the miscellaneous section that I need to talk about. Oh, OK. Oh, what's absolutely. That? Let's just absolutely. roll right into it. What you got, Arnie? Need. 
because I went on a rant on on our podcast about this, and I need to get your guys' opinion on it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Because Shane, you asked me very early on if I had any favorite NPCs, and I named a few, but you didn't ask me if I had any least favorite NPCs, mm. and I do have one, and it's fucking Fuzzy Pickles, man. Oh, uh, <laughs> what? I don't what? like Fuzzy Pickles, man, at all. You don't like randomly stopping the game to get your photo taken i think he is accosting me <laughs> and my friends throughout our entire adventure and he doesn't even try to help i mean you might be a pedo and he, they're like the photographers at disneyland that just like jump you the moment you get at the like the gate they're just like do you guys want a family photo it's like holy shit we just got here <laughs> like honestly the first like three times it happens i was like oh this is cute like yeah you know uh, by like the 17th time, I was like, <laughs> I know Ness is smiling, but there's there's sadness behind those eyes. I, I liked it. Well, do you also appreciate that like Ness is the only party member that reacts to it <laughs> that at gives all? gives a shit, yes. <laughs> yes, it's I do. It's his story. It's his story. But then at the end, I think all the pictures come back and they do it for the credits and stuff. Yeah. And they rearrange people. So it's not like the exact yeah. thing that you got your picture taken. It's just it well, registers no, the he, fact that you got your picture taken there. I mean, like any credible photographer or Instagrammer, he photoshopped the crap out of it. Like, yeah, know, true. Like, oh, yeah. I, Put some I filters. Use, this bald kid over here is really killing the framing on this picture. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta move him around. That actually, see, I liked Fuzzy Pickles, man. Oh. And that reminds me of the one time me and my family were getting some, some photos done at the jc penny at the mall that no one goes to anymore because who does mm -hmm. malls we were getting family photos and the photographer asked us to say fuzzy pickles before she took the photo no fucking way yes and i just stood there like i was flabbergasted i was like how much of a nerd do i want to look like right now in front of my family <laughs> i feel like i would have had like a violent like reaction to that I, I just stood there I, like I didn't I didn't have any reaction because I was like, do I want to start imagine, talking? Imagine do I want to skip Chris being there and they say that and he's like, you fucking what? <laughs> Arnie's like strangling the female photographer in, in, in front know. of his family. <laughs> <laughs> Who sent you? You know, the Apple kid. <laughs> No, Fuzzy Pickles, man, I feel like is very, he very much splits the fan base. You're either pro Fuzzy Pickles or you're anti Fuzzy Pickles. There is no in between. The most divisive part of Earthbound. <laughs> well, I've been on the road for a long time, so it's definitely Fuzzy Pickles. Okay, well, there you go. I think the part, I don't mean to spend like 10 minutes on, on Fuzzy Pickles, man, but I think the part that really makes me more uncomfortable than anything is how he descends from the heavens. <laughs> Every single time. So he's God. Yeah, like, what is he? And they never explain it. <laughs> like, there's a lot of weird stuff in this game, and Fuzzy Pickles Man somehow is, like, top five for me. I can see it. Also, I already knew going into this episode that I was going to subtitle it Fuzzy Pickles, so we're, oh, we're already there. We got it in. Yeah, We got the Fuzzy Pickles in. There it is. Who doesn't like a nice Fuzzy Pickle? Fuck that guy. <laughs> he needs to be stopped you know like you don't you don't have to get all the photos i thought it was like a trigger i thought i thought it yeah you don't have a choice it just triggers yeah. it if you hit the certain area right there's yeah but some of them are hard like you have to go out of your way to get the photo yeah some of them definitely like maybe you wouldn't hit if you're not exploring but i, I want to talk to the npcs man like i want to you know i should be able to enjoy my game without fear of 
you know, being assaulted at any point the by paparazzi this man and his showing up. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, now that we've given Fuzzy Pickles Man his due, I suppose we probably ought to wrap things up by talking a bit about whether we feel this game still holds up today. If someone were to go and plop down on their couch and fire up some Earthbound, are they going to have a good time? And I think I will I will start with Chris and we'll, we'll close it out with our esteemed guest. So uh, I think you can already tell I'm going to say, yes, this game definitely holds up today. Uh, you know, does, I don't even think it matters if you're really a fan of 16 bit RPGs or not. Mm-hmm. I think it's a game that can transcend beyond just the RPG RPG genre that if you ha- haven't played any, this is a good game to get into uh, and, and enjoy. I don't put it up at the top tier of my favorite SNES RPGs. I don't have the love for it that you do see all over the Internet. I'm not a rabid Earthbound fan, but yeah, it's it's definitely held up. It does elicit emotions of joy that a lot of games just don't. It's wholesome. It's innocent. And I don't know. It's it's a special, special game, even if I don't think it's up there with like Final Fantasy three or six, Mm. whatever you want to call it. But yeah. All right. Yeah. And I'll go ahead and go next. And I will just I'll just say yes. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would throw in maybe a mild caveat that I might recommend playing a version that does allow you for to do some on demand saving just to avoid some uh, replaying when you do hit those like odd difficulty spikes. But that's not to say that playing on original hardware is impossible because it's certainly not. But there really isn't a whole lot that I can fault the game on other than what we've kind of already covered. I mean, you know, the the quirky sprite based art is essentially timeless. The soundtrack is funky. The writing is amusing and the combat mechanics comparatively are pretty straightforward, especially when you size it up to a lot of other RPGs, you know, that were contemporaries in that era. So, uh, yeah, I think it's an experience. For sure. I think it will especially be a good time if you are open to, you know, some of those more sort of off the wall takes on things. Like if you're one of those people that were like super into Undertale, then like this is your shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Arnie, how about you? I mean, for me, it's it's a definite yes. And it's a it's an emphatic yes, not only for people who already enjoy JRPGs and especially JRPGs of this vintage. But I think this one goes a little bit above and beyond to where a lot of people could play this. I wouldn't, there's too many quirks in certain areas of the game and certainly the combat being part of that where, and the difficulty curve where I I can't say like, oh, you could recommend this even to people who don't play video games. But you know, if you know people who like, like Shane was saying, sort of quirky off the wall not your typical story type games. This one clocks in at I conservatively, I'd say like maybe 30, 35, 40 hours. That sound right. I would say that's about right. Yeah. yeah. So not something you have to dedicate like a good chunk of your waking life to for a good portion of time. And it's I still don't feel at least I haven't played something that delivers on its story in the same way that Earthbound does. You know, all these years later, I think that Shigesato Itoi really did create something that stands on its own. Um, and as much as people like to say that about a lot of games, I think this one really earns that. You know, there there really isn't anything like 
Earthbound. There have been games that have been inspired by it, and some games that I think have tried to emulate parts of it, but if you're looking for something that you haven't experienced before, this is one to play. Whether Nintendo will allow you to do that, though, is, I guess, another well, question altogether. Yeah, that, that's an entirely different story. Yeah, this one's not on, on the Switch Online service at all, is it? I don't no. think so, no. No, and if you pirate it, they completely fuck you over. Yeah, well, listen, I'm not going to come on your show and, you know, start saying that people should do things that are quote-unquote illegal. I think we already say that, so it's fine. <laughs> the piracy measure, and this should have been in the miscellaneous, and I apologize. Mm -hmm. It does have a piracy measure where it does artificially increase the difficulty by throwing more monsters at you. And then at the end of the game, if it detects that it's an illegal copy, we'll reset the game and erase your save data. Yep. That's that is vicious. <laughs> it's incredibly yep. fucked up. Uh, well, I suppose on that note, that kind of brings our conversation of Earthbound to a close. I think we've uh, I, I feel like we've done it justice. I think we covered everything pretty extensively, actually. Yeah. And uh, before we go and do our whole spiel, uh, we, of course, would like to give our wonderful guest Arnie an opportunity to uh, talk a bit about what he does. So Arnie, could you uh, please tell the fine people at home where they can find all of your wonderful content? Hey, uh, you'd think I'd have this like down to a science by now, but I'm always afraid of messing it up, but I'll <laughs> give it a shot. Thanks to you guys. We have consolidated all of our links into a, a very convenient link tree. Uh, so you can go to link ee slash region free gamers to find us and all of the different stuff that we do you can find our podcast there you can find our discord there our patreon if you like what you hear our instagram and our twitter if you want to hear more ramblings and we'll also be releasing an earthbound episode fairly shortly Ooh. i believe it'll be out by the time this is out so if you want to hear more about my feelings on the fuzzy pickles man please check that out <laughs> as well <laughs> Excellent. And as far as we are concerned, if you are listening to this, then that means you've already found us. So hello. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And if you'd like to uh, engage with the show in a couple of different ways, we have made that super simple for you, as Arnie has uh, alluded to, and that is through the link tree. So you can go to linktree slash retro hangover. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash retro hangover. And you can check out our public discord, our social media accounts. Uh, our Twitch and YouTube channels, as well as our Patreon uh, and the merch store, if you'd like to support the show in that fashion as well. So it's all there for you. You can choose the destination that suits you best. Chris, please tell the fine people about the dumb shit that we do on Twitch on Sundays. So uh, twitch.tv slash retro hangover. Apparently, if you want to catch a good nap. Yeah. Uh, while Shane plays Dark Souls because he doesn't get angry. Yeah. Or maybe you're going to have a good time while he keeps dying at a game like Ghouls and Ghosts. Come by and watch us play some games on Twitch at twitch.tv slash retro hangover. 9 p.m. Eastern time ish. We'll be there and have great conversations and then force Cade McCall of Gaming Memories podcast to make weird designs for t-shirts that you'll probably never see. There you go. Yeah, if you want two hours of Dark Souls ASMR, then you know where to go, apparently. Well, I suppose, with all of that being said, until next time, play with your fuzzy pickled joysticks. 
Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's bit.ly slash RHP B-O-N-E-S. I knew you were going to go with that one. It was right there. It was right in front of us the whole time. <laughs> right there.